Hello there. Welcome to the Oblivious Maximus podcast for another week. I am your host, Aaron Osborne. Thank you for putting up with my time away. I know I didn't say anything about it, but I haven't done the podcast for a couple weeks because I've had real life things to do, like be the MC at my sister's wedding. Congratulations, Ellie. And uh, play a show with I Exist. That was sick. Thanks if you came to that. Uh, If you didn't, you're an absolute dog. Why didn't you come and see my fucking band, dude? Come on. But for real, thank you for taking some time uh, to not listen to me talk. Um, We have a fantastic episode for you this week. Episode 30. Pretty groundbreaking shit for me. Um... But before I get into it, I just want to remind anyone listening to this podcast of the live podcast I have coming up, the next big thing that I'm doing on uh, the 17th of December at the Reverence Hotel. It's at the front bar. It's going to be fucking awesome. Bit of a chat between myself, Callum Preston, Kane Hibbard, Matt Weston, and Patrick Galvin with a bit of music by Jamie Hay and Liam White after it. Um... Going to have an opportunity to ask lots of questions of the guys, talk about all the work they've done, talk about the interaction they've had with the music industry and being artists working within it. Um, I'm super keen to see how that goes and super keen to get feedback from people on the night. Um, So if you want to come, there are pre-sale tickets available at obliviousmaximus.bigcartel.com. Otherwise, it's $5 on the night. Um, There's no fucking dumb booking fees on the pre-sale tickets if you want to buy one. It's just five bucks. Your name will be put on the door. Same thing on the night. If you come, it's just five dollars. I'm not going to make any money from it. No one's making any money. I just want to do this for fun. Uh, Just like why I do this podcast. I enjoy doing it. I enjoy talking to people and hopefully people enjoy listening to me do it. Um, So if you do enjoy listening to me do this, please come along to the live version. You can tell me in person what you don't like about this and what you do like about this. It'd be great to get your feedback. But, now, let's get into the episode. This is episode 30. This episode features a very special guest, my friend Emily Reader. Um, Emily I've known for a long time. People may know her from the bands Ultimatum and Meat Locker. Um, She is a, you know, legendary figure in the Melbourne hardcore scene. She wouldn't say that of herself, but I think as much. Um, she's a fantastic musician, a fantastic person, a very inspirational person to a lot of people, I'm sure, and someone who's contributed a lot to hardcore in Melbourne and also, um, you know, other things worldwide as well. Meat Locker were obviously a band based overseas. She's done some touring internationally as well. Um, and she participates quite actively with Sea Shepherd. So it was interesting to talk to her about all those sorts of things and, you know, just have a chat with someone I've been friends with for a while. So, please enjoy Oblivious Maximus, episode 30, with Emily Reader from Meat Locker and Ultimatum, and Boats, and Defending Whales, and all that cool shit. Fucking brutal! podcast. Hi Aaron, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Thank you for traveling all the way to my house. Um, Okay, so I start all of them the same way, asking people how they primarily found themselves involved with and or interested in music. Okay, all right. Where did it spark off from? Where did it start? Probably the first record I ever remember playing was Puff the Magic Dragon. Really? When I was a kid. I don't know where it came okay. from, but it was in the house with the record player. Yep. And um, I have fond memories yeah. of that too. My yeah. mum loves it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. So yeah, I played that record over and over and I remember, I guess one of my brothers or sisters must have put a, you know, the Mad Magazine, Alfred E. Newman yep. sticker right in the middle so I can remember his... Yeah. Head going around in circles many times, <laughs> playing good. Puff the Magic Dragon. and um, Which is kind of funny, because I've heard that that song has, um, you know, drug connotations yes, to it. So very much so. Maybe that's why I'm straight edge today. <laughs> <laughs> it bothered you enough yeah. to carry on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, later when I was a kid, I was obsessed with Cindy Lauper. So, I guess maybe that's where I got the orange hair today. And, yeah. Um, 
I always wanted all yeah, these music spiky. things are still paying off. Yeah, they are. They're all influencing me today. So, um, yeah, that was they're the, my earliest memories of music, I guess, when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, later on, um, I guess, yeah, I listened to a lot of punk, pop punk, led into hardcore. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so, where where did you grow up? Where was your um, when I was really little, I grew up on a farm yep. um, in the middle of nowhere in Victoria. Mm-hmm. And then when I was about six or seven, we moved to Melbourne. So uh-huh. um, I grew up in Brunswick in Melbourne yep. and I went to school pretty inner city. Yeah. Um, in high school, one of my friends that I'm friends with today, until today, um, Mel, her older brother, Ralph, was a skateboarder. So I think we hung out with him. Um, yeah. And yeah, we're influenced by skateboarding community and yeah yeah, lots of those guys are still around today and yeah that's probably where lots of us got into punk and hardcore at the same time just through the sort of scene or whatever yeah and was there much of a i guess it's you're probably the first person i've spoken to that's actually grown up within like the city limits of melbourne most other people that i've spoken to that have grown up here have obviously yeah come from the burbs or way out in the bush um was there like when you were in school and stuff? Was there much of a culture for punk and alternative music sort mm-hmm. of at that time? Definitely, it was different to today, but it was there was definitely already a culture. Yeah, um, a punk culture, hardcore as such was kind of in its beginning stages mm-hmm. as far as a kind of organised scene. Right. I don't know from my perspective anyway. I guess yeah. at that time, um, I guess. Yeah, I remember seeing Mad Circle at the time, So, mm-hmm. but I guess hardcore bands would play with punk bands and yeah. um, pop bands and all sorts of different sorts of bands, so yeah. And when it's yeah. starting off to bands like that are just trying to play yeah. wherever, yeah. so they're just doing yep. whatever they can. I yeah, suppose, yeah. but I feel like there was yeah a diversity of bands, whereas as it grew... Um, scenes could kind of be contained within themselves, I guess, which is, yeah, where today you kind of, yeah. Yeah. Even hardcore's got all different sorts of hardcore. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Pockets, so, Um, yeah. And so when did, when did playing music become something that sort of took your interest? Um, I guess Ultimatum had already formed, they'd done a demo. Um, The singer in the band only really stuck around in the scene for a short time and um, then he went and kind of live normal life from then on. So when he left the band, there was a reshuffle in the band and mm-hmm. the guitarist became the singer and everyone kind of, um, yeah, played musical chairs with their yeah, instruments. Yeah. And, I mean, there wasn't a lot of vegan straight-edge kids at the time. <laughs> I was probably the only choice that they had. So, yep. yeah, I just picked up the bass and yeah, started right. learning out of the need of... Like to the be band. In the yeah. yeah, out of right, okay, yeah, the need that. for that. So um yeah, I learnt in order to be in the band and yeah. Then you were. It. Then I was. <laughs> <laughs> so was that obviously when that came about the h- hardcore in Melbourne had obviously sort of started flourishing yeah. a little bit yeah. more. Well flourishing would be maximum of thirty people at like a rehearsal yep. room show. Yep. Classic. So that, no one would dance, yeah. um, so that was flourishing for the time. It's um, funny, though, yeah. now that I'm sure a lot of people sit around and think, like, imagine what it would have been like to be there. Yeah. And everyone yeah. who I've spoken to about who yeah. was there it's was like, like, it was a yeah. rehearsal room. Yeah, it was a rehearsal room, <laughs> and the lights were blaringly bright, yeah. and everyone was standing there. But um, I still appreciate, yeah. you know, having those days and mm-hmm. seeing it. But, yeah, early Mindsnare shows were... Like a very well lit rehearsal room with 20, <laughs> 20, 30 people of us. But I still, yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of 18 year olds now who sit there wishing that they could have been part yeah. of that <laughs> and not realize they yeah. probably have been a part of it in one way or another yeah. at some point already, yep. anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a little bit about the early, mm. my early start and yeah. learning to play. And-, and so, like, was that. Being a part of, like, I guess being friends with dudes that were skating and things like that, was that sort of what introduced you to, like, the more heavier things? Or was it sort of, like, just listening to punk carried over into it? I think both. Yeah, I can't really remember, like, a 
Turning Point. There you yeah, go. There you go. reference. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I can't remember. I just remember there being, you know, punk and then I remember there being hardcore. And I do remember, like, being at a skate spot and a friend's friend left his um, uh, Walkman behind. Yes. Classic. Yes. Right. <laughs> and um, I remember picking it up and like putting the headphones on and listening and it was Gorilla Biscuits and thinking, mm-hmm. oh, this is, you know, really cool. And um, yeah, but I can't, yeah, it was all just a really kind of natural progression, I think. Yeah, just blended and, through. Yeah. And pop punk and all of it. So. Yeah. Yeah. And was that, was like, I guess being around there at the time though, was that sort of just like an escape from the normal things that were happening in Melbourne, like at, at school and things yeah, like that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I went to an all-girls school in the city. Yeah. So, yeah, it was definitely a different yeah. escape for me. Um, <laughs> Rehearsal rooms. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, yeah, it would have been definitely. I mean, I haven't... It just felt natural, I guess. That's where my friends were. Mm-hmm. Um, I was drawn to, yeah, the aggressive yeah. nature of the music and... sure. Yeah. And what what was there then, you mentioned before about being vegan strategy, what was what pushed you towards that element of the culture? Um, well, like I said, I grew up very early years in the country, like country Victoria on yeah. a farm. So um, I've been, I've seen a lot of kind of, you know, that farming side of things. Sure. And I've seen, um, as a very little girl, I saw animals slaughtered and mm-hmm. things like that. And um yeah, that's always been very vivid for me. And sure. I've always kind of rejected that. So for my parents, um, you know, I've always been like who I am now. So <laughs> yeah, whenever right. something happened, I'd be screaming and wading out into water and, you know, bringing back the injured bird. And sure? um, yeah, they, um, I would try to save the yabbies off the farm. Like I cut up my slip and slide and tried to make... A pond that I would save all the yabbies and um, so, so early yeah, seeds planted for the sea shepherd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's always. I think it's always been part of me. So, huh. um, yeah. So I think yeah. When I kind of found like um, a whole group of people and scene and music that I identified with, it was yeah supportive of it that was stuff. perfect and natural and yeah. And the the straight edge side of things, was that sort of something that was just informed by the music or was that um, something else that had a uh, thing with you? I guess, yeah. I mean, when, like, at 17, I drank for a bit. Yeah. Never really, like, interests me, I guess. So mm-hmm. none of that interests me too much. So yeah, I guess that's another thing where it wasn't a day where I went, right, from, you know, from today onwards, I'm ever doing this or that it just kind of felt natural as well so yeah yeah that's another interesting take on it. i think probably half of the people i've spoken to on this have been straight edge i suppose every time i've spoken to someone i've been drinking so that's also funny <laughs> actually no there's been like twice when i've done them in the morning and i've had a chocolate Still, milk but yeah. <laughs> um uh but yeah no I, I mean i think a lot of people sort of went to that by way of uh, having a bad experience with something mm. or having been grown up in a place where they, you know, were exposed to a lot of alcohol abuse yeah. or drug yeah. abuse or... Yeah. No, I mean, but definitely within that skateboarding scene, there was, um, yeah. Certainly a lot of that. Yeah. Giving. And I was around drugs and things at the time and I still... Yeah, wasn't really interested. Just didn't have in interest it. in Yeah, that. but I've also seen how um, it has hurt and affected lot lots of, of people, and yeah. especially like there are nihilistic aspects to that skateboarding culture. And sure. yeah, so yeah. Well, I mean, I can say that too, and I, I just think it's one of those things that like I, I like to think that people aren't affected adversely by or offended by my relationship with booze. No. And I don't think people are, but like, it's something for me that I've just, and I, I, I guess I come from a completely different angle of it as well, where similar to yourself, I guess growing up, I never had, I never had really much experience with alcohol at all. Like mm. my opa is Dutch, so he drank beer, but like, I mean, I couldn't tell you whether he was drunk mm. or just yeah. the normal, happy, loud yeah. German, Dutch person <laughs> yeah. he is, you know? Um, 
but like so for me drinking and doing all that sort of stuff was just kind of like oh i just this is fun and it's not hurting anyone so yeah whatever but it's it is it is very funny to hear how different people have yeah had different relationships with it you know but in the end it's a personal choice and it's about yeah yeah. i think it's a very personal thing i don't think it's about yeah whether you're drinking a beer on the couch right now you're not offended by it i'm not offended by it no no good i'm glad um all right so then when when you started playing an ultimatum what was what was that like for you i guess going from having learnt the instrument to be a part of the band was that a like a crazy thing for you to start experiencing or was it just normal it was normal yeah yeah just hanging out with your mates yeah yeah just None instead of, of was... watching in that rehearsal room, you were playing? Yeah. Do you know, I don't think they really played much before I joined anyway. So it yeah, wasn't right. like I'd watched them a heap yeah. of times. Like, not a whole lot. They'd done the demo, but not a whole lot had happened Yeah. Um, at that point. So, yeah. yeah. And so when, when you started playing in the band, then was that sort of uh, something that pushed you to be then more involved with the scene in Melbourne itself? Or... Um... Was that something you'd already found yourself I think I already was at that time. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And there wasn't a whole lot going on anyway. Like, we still put on shows and um, I was already, you know, furiously riding to every corner of the globe trying to check out what was going on in their scenes and things like that. But, um, yeah, we put on shows in rehearsal rooms most of the time. At first, Ultimatum adamantly were never going to play a pub show and then... Very straight edge. That, yeah, that was really straight edge. And then, <laughs> and then I think that got really boring and yeah. I've even got this cut out. So our first pub show was at the Art House and mm-hmm. um, in Beat Magazine, I guess it was, there's the little um, Art House ad and it has ultimatum and in brackets, first pub show. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. That's so, not something anyone would even think to claim anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, what was the question again? I think I was... Uh, did, did you just find yourself more involved with involved. things then? Um, I guess so. It all kind yeah. of... It's also quite a while ago now, so everything's no, a little bit like okay. mushed up in my brain. But um, it, you don't prob- need to remember it probably dates. did. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. I'm sure it must have. Yeah. Yeah. And like, so I guess what, what, what then led from your involvement being doing things in Melbourne to broadening that beyond just Melbourne was that part of being in the band or that already sort of started happening for you um in what way what do you mean like doing things elsewhere in Australia and stuff had you sort of already developed an urge to travel and things like that yeah yeah definitely so like as soon as I was 18 I convinced my parents to um let me go and do that camp counselor kind of thing over in the States. So, um, and that was my way to, you know, get out there. And so I went and did that and I was in like the arse end of Pennsylvania uh, in a scout camp for a few weeks or months or whatever that was. And Mm. then after that, it allowed me to travel like all over the States and, you know, see my favorite bands and I was dying to get out there. So when was that? Um, I feel like that must have been around about 96. Yeah, wow. Um, So, and I already had, so at the time, you know, there's no internet back then. So everyone was a pen pal and I wrote to a gazillion people everywhere. And um, so I got to meet lots of like my pen pals at that time. Mm So, um, and one of my pen pals is still a super close friend to today, my friend Ken. Mm -hmm. And he lived in DC. So... At this one point, um, while I was still in the camp, it was Independence Day weekend. So sure. in the area that we were in, um, the thing to do was go to the Gettysburg reenactment, So, which today <laughs> I would actually really love to do. But back then I was like, I couldn't think of anything worse. So yep. um, my friend Ken jumped in the car and drove hours to come and get me um, mm-hmm. and then drove me back to DC and I got to see... Um, that weekend, Damnation and Misfits play at um, the 9.30 Club, Mm -hmm. which was awesome. And yeah, got to spend the weekend in DC instead of going to the Gettysburg (laughs) reenactment. And then he dropped me off at the end of the weekend. And like, that was probably one of the first, you know, interactions with, you know, a friend at that time that I'd written to and, and going to a show. And so at the end of like this, um, camp counselor 
experience. I, yeah, I traveled all over. I went to Boston and um, DC. I spent a lot of time in DC and yeah, got to see shows and all the bands that I dreamed about seeing at the time. So yeah, sick. It was rad. And then when you came back home, how did that sort of inform, I guess, your like, like personality and things and like, did that was going over and seeing all that stuff, did that sort of change you a lot when you came back home or was it just sort of an experience? No, I think it was just an experience and connected me with people yeah. and probably, you know, kind of fed my appetite to continue, um, yeah, having a worldwide involvement with um, hardcore and veganism and straight edge and, yeah. and people everywhere. So, yeah. yeah, I love meeting people and, yeah. you know, stuff like that and... And so, yeah, I think. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's one of those things, like, I think, I mean, and, I mean, people may argue differently to me, but I I do think one of, like, the, being that I might, the profession I've chosen to put myself in is one of educating people. Um, But I feel like the, one of the things that I've sort of always rung true for me is something that my mum told me when I was a kid, and, which is that, like, like the value of travel is far more valuable than mm. the value of formal education. Yeah. I think anyway. Yeah. And even yeah. though I'm someone who's gone to university and mm. now I'm pursuing teaching mm. and things like that. Um, I mean, my mum, when she finished school, she was 17 and she went immediately went overseas, lived there for a couple of years and came back and then traveled to and fro mm. for, you know, even most of my childhood mm. and things like that. And, I'm like so thankful that that was impressed upon me mm. because now any opportunity I have to go overseas, yeah. I will happily yeah. take it yeah. regardless of me what too. it is. Yeah. 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 And, um, you know, whether that be dicking around with my sisters in a tropical Island or going to sleep on people's couches yeah. somewhere, it's yeah. like, it's one of those things that I just think like the experience, those are the things you'll remember. Yeah, definitely. I Definitely cannot remember anything I learned yeah. in school. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm with you. Like, yeah. And <clears throat> that may be why, uh, as teaching primary school things, it's taken me quite a while yeah. <laughs> to remember long division and things like that. But, um, you know, I can remember every single thing about yeah. almost every trip I've taken. Yep. Yep. <laughs> you know? And like, I don't even think you realize how much it does affect you or, you know, makes you grow or all yeah. of it. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And so, I guess, being exposed and witnessing the bands that you saw over there, bands that you'd wanted Mm. to see for a long time, Mm -hmm. did that at all impact on how you saw, like, playing music when you came back? Um, I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm sure it subconsciously did. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, I guess it, it always has, so... Because you do see lots of bands over there do push themselves, and mm-hmm. um, so it probably did impress on me. Yeah, you know some of that. But yeah, I mean, I, I've I, the only reason I ask is that just like that's that's one of the things I think's always rung true for me was I guess when maybe it was different back when uh, you were first being involved with mm. things, but like meeting bands that toured here from elsewhere what is like great fun but i don't i don't think it really sort of rings through to you until you see what they do where they're from yeah yeah like it's because when they're here it's mm. taken them to get to like a huge level yeah, to get true. here yeah like so by the time they're here they've already busted their asses for a number of years <laughs> yeah. like yeah it's not like they just come here a week after yeah someone heard them yeah um and then you go, but if you go over and see them where they're from, or you tour with a band elsewhere, you can really see like the yeah. the work that's gone into yeah. building that up. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Thinking back that far, I can't remember it all. Yeah. So obviously, you have been in a couple bands yeah. in the time you have been involved with this music. Yeah. Um. What What was like the impetus for you guys when uh, you and Lloyd departed Australia mm-hmm. and went to Europe? Yep. What was um, that? Was that a, just a personal choice to go yeah. do something? Yeah, yeah, definitely. 
like we've already been talking about. Love to travel mm. and uh, take opportunities and, yeah, wanted to take the opportunity to live elsewhere. So yeah. we'd never been to England mm. and then we decided to move to Manchester, yeah. which was an interesting choice. But yes. How, well, how, I loved it. how did that choice come about? Um, Lloyd had an auntie there and then I just thought, It'd be good to go somewhere different, and mm-hmm. I have no idea. I think we just kind of plucked a <laughs> place off the map. the map. I don't know, yeah. but I'm so glad that we live there because, yeah, it's it can be a really tough and miserable city, but it's mm-hmm. also, um, yeah, it's kind of romantic to me now when I can look back upon it. And yeah, um, yeah, some of the best bands of all time, not hardcore bands, but you know, some well, you yeah. Know, but you're talking about some of the best music has come out of there, and I think it is. Because it can be such a hard and yeah, yeah. sad place. But um, yeah, I met some beautiful friends that I'll have for life and mm. it was awesome. And the north of England's fun and yeah, yeah. you can travel and see all the other cities and mm-hmm. I love the history and all of that. So yeah. Um, yeah. And so what was the push for you guys when you got there to start playing music when you're over there? Um, so after living in Manchester, then we moved to London mm-hmm. and Reese, um Who I play in a band yeah. with. Yeah. Mm. So he lived there and he's kind of a musical genius and always doing something and always on the go. And he had this band that he'd written songs for and Zephyr Pavey was in the Mm -hmm. band as well. But I think he was moving on and coming back to Australia or something. So I don't know, somehow it's another one of those things that kind of, um, yeah, just kind of occurred, I guess. Next thing, I can't remember any build up, but I remember being in the rehearsal room. So somehow that occurred. Yeah. yeah, and it happened just naturally and kind of really quickly, but we couldn't find a singer for a really long time and mm-hmm. we looked and we asked everyone and no one wanted to be in the band and so I think in the end, I don't know, like we were just going to get we we're just going to record it and get Lloyd to do the lyrics or something and Yeah. And then yeah, Reese said um oh, I could ask Lecky up north. He didn't really know him really well, I don't think, but yeah, he asked him and Lecky said yes. And so we kind of um pieced together all the music and the lyrics and we kind of recorded it. We kind of, I think I've got a recording actually of Reese just kind of talking the words. <laughs> so anything you've ever heard of Meat Locker, there's also a version of like, Reese of Reese going, rats crawl on your face. <laughs> so it's pretty good. Maybe someone can I've bootleg Reece, that one day. I've heard Reese sing. Reese yeah, sang on yeah. some big bread demos, I think. <laughs> um, um, so we sent it to Lecky and then... He was down and we went up there and we, he was rad. He just nailed it. Was that the first time you'd met him? Yeah. Yeah. So when we recorded, it's the first time I met him. Now he's a awesome friend and, you know, we got to know each other really well after that. But when we, the day we recorded, well, not the day, because when we went to, we went and set up and put everything inside and then we're due to go in the next day. And that night, some, a few people died in the building and that uh, kind of prevented us from getting in i guess there was some dodgy like underground nightclub and people (laughs) had dodgy pills and a couple of people died so yeah we went to go to record the next day and everything was set up and there were like these hobby bobbies standing in the doorway blocking us from recording so (laughs) yeah but when we eventually did um once that craziness was dealt with once that was over with lecky nailed it and yeah, he was just awesome. So, and it couldn't have ever been anyone else, and he was perfect. So, yeah, yeah. And what was the experience like, going from, I guess, seeing shows in America, playing shows in Australia, being a part of like the evolution of, I guess, like the what is now the hardcore scene here. Mm-hmm. What was it like going and being in a band in England at the um... time? It was pretty mellow over there, yeah. um, and we only played a couple of shows, a couple of little shows. So, um, yeah, they were pretty mellow, really. Mm. The best Meat Locker shows of my recollection are here. Like, yeah. yeah. Lots of fun times. They were good. Yeah, yeah. it was good fun. And so, <clears throat> once that had got going then, what was the push to come here and do it then? Was it just you guys uh, were our returning time was home? Up. Yeah, our yeah. time was up there. It was time to come home. I was dying to be home. Yeah. Um and then, yeah, I don't know. That kind of just progressed just into that. Fell I into think. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Lucky. I think that's when I first met you guys. Was that? Okay. At which um, one? Uh, the one with mine snare. Oh, that was fun. Yeah, it was. I've always got a really good story from that show. Go on. Because um, 
yeah, it was packed. If you remember, like, yes. there was a line out around the corner. It Correct. was a super fun show. And um, that kid, Milky, who's the yep. drummer. Uh, Extortion. Yeah, yep. yeah. Um, and Rort, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he was tiny. He was an underage kid. Yep. And he was trying to get in. So, like, he came in and he's like, oh, you know, there's a kid that we've got to get in. And um, was trying to scheme ways of getting Milky into the show. So... Like, they took out this big kind of merch bag, which was like a big sausage kind of yep. um, army bag. Yeah. <laughs> and it's got like a handle on each end. So <coughs> they emptied all the merch out and Lecky disappeared. I guess they put Milky in the merch bag. <laughs> and like Lecky had one handle and some other kid must have had the other handle. And um, so they got to that front step of the art house. If anyone remembers, there's this big kind of blue stone step yeah. that was at the front. So I guess they got right there where there's someone waiting to take or, you know, check ID and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And one of the handles fell off. And so Milky's head went crack straight onto that, you know, bluestone step, first of all. <laughs> but he had to stay quiet so that, you know, he didn't get found out. So that happened. And then whoever went to pick up the bag, mm-hmm. like, you know, clutched this, you know, scrunched up this big section of the, the bag to pick it up and, like, got his rat's tail in it and, oh, like, God. I think partially pulled out his rat's tail from his head. Jesus and, um, Christ. this whole time he just stayed quiet to get <laughs> into the show. Anyway, he got in. They zipped open the bag. He got to enjoy the show and Jesus there you go. Christ. He got in. So My fondest memory of that show is uh, Murph of I Exist. Because mm-hmm. um, Hardluck and Slover and my band yeah. played. And uh, Murph was in both bands. Um, Murph... Got so drunk at that show that when, I, I don't know if it was you guys or if it was mine snare, when one of you guys was playing, Murph was in a pram getting pushed around. Oh, yeah. I remember that pram. Yep. I think it was during Meat Locker because I remember there was a pram in the pit. Yeah. Like, Murph so... was in the pram. Oh, my God. And yep. then when Mind Snare played, he continued to be that drunk <laughs> that he fell asleep on the stage. Oh, God. Like, he was... At the front, just passed out. Who's <laughs> ever slept through mine snare? I mean, Simon Murphy, yeah. the, only, <laughs> the only man who could. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was just like I, and th- that fucking that show's come up a lot too in this podcast. Yeah. Talking about yeah. that show, it was fun. Yeah, but it, and it was one of those things too where it was like when that show came up, Alex was like, "Oh, do you want to play this show? Hard luck, you're going to play it. So if you want to do it, you can do it." And I was like, "Of course, it'll be yeah, looking awesome." And then. We got there, and I think I think it was the first time any of us who weren't in Hard Luck had been to the art house. Yeah. So from that point, we were like, right. this is fucking sick. Yeah. Like, we've got to... Sure. yeah. Every time we come here, we've yeah. got to play here. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yes, that was definitely... Yeah. I loved Hard Luck so much. Dude. I'm a huge Hard Luck fan. Okay. I did a cartwheel during... Did like, you? a Hard Luck <laughs> show once upon a time. That's good. Yeah, Hard Luck <laughs> That's was how the much best. I, I think they are... Easily one of the most underrated slash not receiving of the credit they deserve. Yeah. And I'm absolutely honoured that two of them are in my band and <laughs> yeah. I can steal their talent. Yeah. But yeah. They, they were like the reason that I ended up playing yeah. hardcore, really. Yeah. Was because before that I just listened to metal. Yeah. And I started playing in a hardcore band by way of just being mates with people, but... The first show that I played with them was like, oh, that's that's how good this can be mm-hmm. and like yep. how fun yep. this can be and how fucking stupid this can be yep. and still be fine. Yep. Like it can be totally ridiculously silly. Like I think one of the first shows we played with them, Murph used to do this thing. I don't know if you were ever privy to it, but he would get people to write a one word like sentence to make up. You know, like, the, you, like you do in primary school, yeah. you write a sentence, then you fold it, someone else writes a <laughs> sentence, and he'd unravel that and then read it because mm. he's no, so... No, I never saw that. Yeah. He, well, he did it in a couple of shows, <clears throat> but I guess because he's so like socially reserved mm-hmm. and quiet, that was a way for him to like fill tuning points yeah, yeah. for everyone else. That's a else. good idea. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So he used to do that and it was fucking hilarious yeah. because it'd, people would always just be like, you know, right. But who'd written them? Just any, like he'd go around, just ask people to write okay. something on yeah. a piece of paper yep. and it'd always just be ridiculous. But that was like his, for a, a while, that was yeah. like his thing that yeah. he did at shows. Um, 
Yeah, anyway, enough about it. If they ever release something again, they should have that as part of the artwork. Like find old, yeah. you know, screwed up bits of paper with everyone's things. I have been trying to get uh, Exist to cover hard luck for mm-hmm. as long as we've been a band. Yeah. We one time went as far as to practice a song. We got all the way to doing it and then didn't do it for whatever reason at a show. And do it. I exist. Do it. Yeah. Fucking come on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I think Murph is just like, isn't, would never play a show again because he's the only person in the world, I think, who believes when you say last show, ah, that means last no, show. No, it never means last show. <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> it just means we're not going to play for a while. Or, for him you know. it does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, so I guess the next part of you, mm. the story of yours mm-hmm. I would like to hear is how um, you got involved with Sea Shepherd stuff. Yeah. So how did that come about <clears throat> um, for you? Obviously, I've been vegan for a really long time and animal rights has been a big part of my life. Mm-hmm. for a long time um so and you know when you look back on the kind of 90s hardcore i was listening to mm-hmm. a lot of it is you know referring to direct action and you know actually physically kind of intervening and and stepping yeah. up for what you believe in so not just yelling about it yeah well yelling about it's good too but it's also <laughs> good to you know do something with yeah. that yelling yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah, and I've had a lot of friends over the years that have um, been involved. So I think that's, it was, number one, it's an organization that is direct action. And so, um, you know, I think for me, that's what I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. And also, um, yeah, having other hardcore kids that are involved, I guess, make me realize, oh, I can do that too. Or, you know, I've got that in me. So, yeah, um, yeah that's probably how I have got involved so and was it yeah. hard to get your foot in the door with them or um was it just through friendships you'd made no not really i mean so in past years i think in melbourne we're extremely lucky because um we're on the doorstep of the southern ocean and there's mm-hmm. campaigns that occur in antarctica that are pretty well known um mm-hmm. with the ships so um at some point it became the southern operation base and so there were a lot of i had a lot of friends like you know, just a train journey away. And um, so, yeah, that really connected me, I guess, with the ships um, mm-hmm. especially. But so, yeah, does that answer it all? Yeah, yes, it <laughs> yeah. does. Yeah. Um, and so how, how did you then find yourself sort of contributing to it beyond yep. just sort yeah. of getting involved? Um, well, there's a lot that you can do. So I went and joined a campaign um on the ground in Japan, in Taji. Mm-hmm. That was like the first campaign that I went on. So that's documenting like a dolphin yep. capture and slaughter and stuff there. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think I just slowly realized that there's a lot you can do. I think at first with any type of volunteering, you think, you know, have I got the time or, um, you know, have I got the strength and stuff like that to do it? But then, mm-hmm. yeah, we all have it. I yeah. Think. So once you yeah. get involved, I think, it sort yeah, of becomes... yeah. Um, so it's actually easy and becomes part of life and mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And how many of the campaigns have you been a part of now? Um, so I've only, so I've done the Taji land campaign and I've been on one sea campaign as well. Mm-hmm. So recently that was up in the North Atlantic, um, in the Pharaohs. So for me, there's people that are permanently on the ships for me, like I live in Melbourne mm-hmm. and work. So it's just going to be when I can fit it in um i'm also like an onshore volunteer here in melbourne so you do a lot of um like i'll do ship tours and things like that and yeah. outreach and all that kind of thing so yeah help out and was that something that sort of like has taken like i know you said you, you sort of you will find time for it when yeah. you start doing but was that something that was sort of a struggle at first when you started doing no no i don't think so at it all it just rolled through into yeah yeah. That's sick then. I think we've all got time for things <coughs> that we really believe in. Yeah. Know? I don't think... And if you do really believe in it, I think you'll make time for it. And, yeah. And fit I mean, it in. And, yeah. I, I don't have an enormous amount of experience in volunteering, but the the experience that I do have in it, I found a similar thing. I obviously found it supremely rewarding. Yeah. 
But at the same time, when it, uh, you know, the opportunity to do it came up, I think I sort of had a similar mindset wherein I was like, oh, fuck, this is like another thing that I have to do on top of yeah. my real life. But then yeah. once you sort of start getting invested in it yeah. and doing it, it's like... I think if it's something that you're passionate about, it's not going to be... Like anything, it's not going to feel like it's taking up your time. Yeah. I think real life <coughs> takes up my time. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, yeah, <laughs> the other needs to are... move over so that I can... Uh, <laughs> well, that's a good way yeah, of looking at it. Yeah, um, <clears throat> So, if anyone was interested in doing it, what would yeah. your advice to them be? Um, I mean, I would... <clears throat> I mean, not just Sea Shepherd, but... Um, well, yeah, all vo- sorts volunteering. Of, yeah, volunteering. Yeah. We'll find something that you're passionate about and yeah. do your research and and go for it because it's hugely rewarding and yeah. um i'd suggest any like i mean everyone probably should in some way mm-hmm. invest or give back um you know whether it's animal rights or human rights um there's so many ways to help out so mm-hmm. um and is there any yeah. that you would recommend to people to check out um okay now i've got a Obviously, the Sea Shepherd is there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, throughout the world, there's onshore chapters and different ways to help out. I mean, if anyone ever wants to directly get in touch with me, they can as well. Like, um, to ask questions about all sorts of different volunteering, because I've got lots of suggestions, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. But, um, I mean, there's there's another volunteer that went off. There's a lot of people that actually go off and start their own um, kind of ground route organizations which i think is so amazing so um there's one uh in north america called the wildlife defense league where they're Mm -hmm. um kind of defending grizzly bears and wolves and things like that out in um the wild from trophy hunting and whatnot so like some an organization like that's fantastic to support and you know you can even get in touch with them to you know kind of go and and help i know that's overseas but um you know, there might be anyone listening that's from North America as well. <laughs> um, so here, I've also got another friend that started an organization called Tin Can Town. So they traveled, because um, this is the other thing, you might go on a holiday somewhere, but it's so good to give back even when you're yeah. traveling somewhere. Um, well, you're spending your time yeah. you know, using their land. Why yeah, not? exactly. <laughs> yeah. So so I have friends that went, they went to South Africa and they ended up volunteering for an organization called Tin Can Town that helps in poverty-stricken areas um, that, you know, there's a lot of human rights issues, let alone animal right issues. So mm-hmm. um, it's kind of educating people um, in these areas about how to care for, like, their dogs and cats also. But um, offering, like, they will offer... They've run campaigns where you can donate money and get a dog kennel. Mm-hmm. And um, if the person gets... They'll get a dog kennel if they will also like neuter their pet. So there's things like that. And um, so after traveling there, they came back and they kind of could never let that go. So they started a Australian arm of Tin Can Town and yeah, they right. raised money here for the dogs in South Africa. And I think that's just the coolest thing. I just love that when someone yeah. goes and they do something extra on top of, you know, where they're traveling anyway. And then it kind of um, lights a fire in them and and they go and just do more and yeah. become something so awesome. So... Yeah, I'd kind of suggest to anyone if wherever you're traveling in the world, if you've got some spare time, kind of look for a seek that yeah, sort of stuff out and look for ethical places because sometimes it's pretty you know fishy. there are places that are trying to make money off. Um, they might call themselves a sanctuary, but yeah, I yeah. guess do your research and yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, and human rights is is obviously equally yeah. important. So sure. you know whether I'm sure in every city in the world there's ways that you can help like new refugees and things like that mm-hmm. and um. Yeah. Especially in the fucking current climate. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah. Standing up for animals and humans in whatever way you can. All so, important. Yeah. Um so what things do you have like do you have any uh things on the horizon for you in terms of things with Sea Shepherd or things like that? Um I mean I definitely You're currently yeah. in a period of I know, rest. I've just come back. I've literally yes. just come back. So yeah. And I have to work and um yeah, I'd love to participate in more campaigns. So yeah. let's see what is on the horizon. I'll let you know. Um, Please do. Yeah. <laughs> so at no, the moment, it's, a... it's going to be summer in Melbourne, and I'm quite it. looking forward to that. <laughs> totally. So that's yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, I guess, and some of the like the last thing that I was sort of thinking about asking you was, like, um, how how have you seen 
I guess the way things have gone from uh, when you sort of first became uh, you know involved with hardcore and alternative sort of culture and things like mm-hmm. that in Melbourne to where it's at now. How have you seen? Have you seen that development be something that's uh, generally positive as a whole, or do you look at it as something that's sort of otherwise? I think generally positive, or else I wouldn't still be sitting here right now. If it yeah. wasn't, if I didn't find positive elements, I wouldn't be involved. So sure. positive has always outweighed the negative, and um, yeah, it's kind of like a roller coaster ride of you know different periods of hardcore definitely sure. and there's been some really low periods where of course i think um yeah at times i've wondered whether i identify with you know the straight edge at the time and things mm-hmm. like that there was definitely one period that i can remember that was just so completely misogynist and yeah i yeah. just i would go to a show and feel like you know do i fit in here and yeah i'm glad that I didn't at that time and sure. but I've always had I think having a worldwide connection and always having friends um mm-hmm. that I'm constantly in touch with that are amazing and yeah and wonderful and you know um it's always kind of kept me in check and kept reminded yeah. me that well I think that's one of those things too I think uh, yeah. something that can be quite damaging to people and maybe yeah. it's a reason why a lot of people bail out of things yeah I don't blame be- them because... because they're a part of something that alienates them yeah but I Which think it should be the opposite. You should, yeah. you, when you're feeling alienated, it should be the place that you go to, to feel, mm. you know, that you have a century. Yeah. I think one of, one of the cool things about having international connections and things like that mm. is it can remind you why you're invested mm-hmm. in it or you want to be involved yeah. with it or. Yeah. And I guess, and I, over and over again, I'd always just tell people to surround yourself in people that, <clears throat> you know, make you feel Good and equally, you should you know yeah um, offer that as well. But people that respect you and people that help you grow to be the best person that you can be. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think once you do that, and Melbourne at the moment, I think is in such a cool place, and mm-hmm. yeah, I think and I think what things look, do you think are contributing to that then? Um, the twins, I think the twins have worked. Yep like incredibly hard yeah. to put on shows and to create a space that is positive <clears throat> for people. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think no matter like what shit anyone ever gives, like they've just stuck at it and created a space. Cause they, you know, they've put on shows where people have come and, you know, been turds. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, well, and they've, really I don't think that'll that. ever end. <laughs> no, it's never going to, I know. Hello. People hardcore. will continue to be yeah, turds. Yeah, yeah. There's turds everywhere, but mm-hmm. they fucking stuck at it, and like, I think they, we can thank them for making a positive, comfortable space. And obviously, you know, Nicole is like, yeah, the previous uh, guest of this podcast. Nah. Hi, Nicole. Fantastic. <laughs> but yeah, it's things like that. It's not just, and it's not just the music. Obviously, there's people like Nicole and other people that are writing zines. Mm-hmm. For a long time, there was no zines. Yeah. In existence like that kind of disappeared and now there's some awesome zines and it's an outlet for people and it's as much you know i think plays as much part in the scene as music does and yeah same with you know whether it's photography or you know all the ways that people are contributing mm. i've seen recently there's i know we have these bake sales and there's people collecting food now for mm-hmm. um for those in need and yeah all of that i just think is yeah so cool and yeah. i'm so proud of them and it makes me yeah 20 years later it kind of <laughs> makes me all warm and fuzzy and yeah that's cool yeah so i'm very proud of all those people that are doing that yeah that's yeah. sick yeah. well i mean it's uh, i think that's and that's kind of the, the reason why i felt necessary to ask you that is because i think a lot of uh older people who have been doing this for a lot longer than some of the people who are just getting involved or have only mm-hmm. been involved for a couple of years mm-hmm. or whatever. I think that, I think, uh, generally speaking, a lot of people are quite jaded to things, which mm. isn't a surprise. Yeah, as, I don't as blame you them said. either. Like... Yeah, there, there's a lot of things that can yeah. burn you and there's a lot of things that can yeah. <laughs> detract you a little bit from... Yeah. Um, but I, I think it, it is positive to see... Uh, people like yourself and Lloyd as well, just Mm. who are still 
enthusiastic about. Mm. Um, I don't know if that's really sad or like. <laughs> no, I don't think it's sad. Yeah. I think it's. I mean, uh, uh, yeah. but that's kind of the way the world yeah. works too. There's yeah. got to be people who are yeah super off it and don't want to be a part of it, yeah, or yeah. are begrudgingly a yes. part of it, and yeah. people who are still happy yeah. to be a part yeah. of it. And I love. I still love meeting people. Like yeah, yeah. I love meeting like lots of this younger crew that are doing amazing things and yeah yeah just as much as i did when i was meeting like a peer of my same age mm-hmm. back whenever like, yeah yeah well it's good that you can share previous experiences yeah. and <laughs> tell them that minds now shows if a zillion years ago if i can them then i can share <laughs> the experiences but well, yeah i'm yeah. glad someone is uh positing that maybe yeah. the heyday of minds now shows yeah. wasn't when they first hey started. i love them they were fucking awesome <laughs> people just weren't moving yeah as they do now but um well. Yeah. That's sort of a little bit of a tip of the hat to people now having yeah. more put in more effort than yeah. older people who have yep. subsequently not yep. participated anymore. But I get so psyched that minds now are as loved today like as Yeah. They were. That I do too. That makes like gives me warm mm. and fuzzy feelings as well. Every yeah. time there's a show and people are psyched on it, I'm like, that's so fucking cool because they are. They're the best ever. Yeah, great. Yeah. Yeah. And they'll continue to be great. I know. Yeah. Um, do you have anything you would like to spruik or talk no. about, advertise for the masses? No. Something anyone should pay attention to? Yeah, go vegan. Go vegan. There you go. <laughs> there you People go. Yeah. Learn that. Yeah. Um, no, but like for, in all honesty, if anyone, I mean, if anyone ever has any questions, like they can always ask me as well. Where should they address anything. you? Um, on what platform do you prefer to be spoken to personally? Okay. If they, I mean, if they're from Melbourne or anywhere, they can, I'm approachable. Yep. But, um, I'm not asking yeah. you to give out your phone I'm like, number. <laughs> I've, got, I've got a funny email address or no. No, it's okay. No. Well, so if you see Emily, fucking talk to you her. You can talk to me or you can find me. I mean, in today's day and age. That's a challenge to anyone who wants to yeah. find you. <laughs> And they have to say you came from the podcast. Yeah, then you get a 50% discount. (laughs) (laughs) For any conversation. Yes. Okay, well, thank you for talking to me. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks for having me. Brutal.